All right, the Lord is good. Let's open our Bibles quickly. Let's declare the glory of God. We are going to read from Psalm 9, and we are going to read from verse 1. I will read as far as verse um, 11. All right? Are you ready? So let's take from verse 1. 1 to let's go. I will give thanks to the Lord with all my heart. I will tell of all your wonders. I will be glad and I will exult in you. I will sing praise to your name, O Most High. When my enemies turn back, they stumble and perish before you. For you have maintained my just cause. You have sat on the throne judging righteously. You have rebuked the nations. You have destroyed the wicked. You have blotted out their name forever and ever. Your enemy has come to an end in perpetual ruins. And you have uprooted the cities. The very memory of them has perished. But the Lord abides forever. He has established his throne for judgment. And he will judge the world in righteousness. He will execute judgment for the peoples with equity. The Lord also will be a stronghold for the oppressed. A stronghold in times of trouble. And those who know your name will put their trust in you. For you, O Lord, have not forsaken those who seek you. Sing praises to the Lord who dwells in Zion. Declare among the peoples his deeds. Amen. Amen. I'm going to stop reading there. He said, the Lord abides forever. He has established his throne for judgment. He will judge the world in righteousness. He will execute judgment for the peoples with equity. The Lord also will be a stronghold for the oppressed, a stronghold in times of trouble. And those who know your name will put their trust in you. For you, O Lord, have not forsaken those who seek you. If you believe that, give me an amen. Amen. That is what the Lord is going to do for us in this generation. We see his power delivering his righteous ones. And we see bringing bringing forth his judgment upon the wicked. In the name of Jesus Christ. All right, before we take our seats, let's quickly take a declaration of understanding. I know we all know it by heart, so let's get ready to do that. One, two, let's go. Now I declare... And the Lord has given me the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. And I'm being filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. As a result of this, I'm walking in a manner worthy of the Lord. I'm pleasing him in all respects. I'm bearing fruit in every good work. And I'm increasing in the knowledge of God. Now again, I incline my ears to his word. The word is entering my heart. It is giving me light and direction. It's healing me in every area, and it's making me more and more like the Lord Jesus. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen. 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 I said amen. amen. All right, the Lord is good. Let's take our seats. Actually, I was at a loss what I would teach today because I had two things in mind. And as I said, five minutes ago, I had not made up, made up my mind which one of them we start with because um, last time we came... Not last Saturday. Last Saturday I was not around. All right. The other uh, Saturday, the last time I taught here anyway, um, we concluded what we have been teaching concerning the, um, um, the breath of faith. That is the way by which our faith is expressed. The way by which we, um, assess ourselves when it comes to the matter of faith to be sure that we are still in the faith and that we are walking in faith. And I explained the difference between the, those two expressions. Then when we, are say, when we say we are still in the faith, many people who are 
who are supposed Christians are no longer in the faith. What is the faith? The faith is centered around Christ Jesus. That is, you understand that Jesus is God manifested in the flesh. You understand that Jesus died for your sins and that all the good things that God ever promised, they are confirmed only in him. And we understand that anything we are going to ever want in this life will be that which we have in Christ Jesus. And we understand that our lives are lived, all right, for him and for him alone. That's what the faith is. We understand that he died for sins, and we understand that in him we have righteousness. We understand that grace comes only that way, that he's the one that made the door to the Father, and no one can come to the Father except through him. That is the faith. Now, there are all kinds of faiths, you understand? I mean, people who claim to be even Christians, they believe all kinds of things. All right? But if you don't believe this and that I have said, you are not in the faith. I hope you're getting my point. If you believe that doing good is important, that is not the faith. If you believe that sin is real, that is not the faith. If you believe that God will judge, that is not the faith. If you believe that God is a creator, that is not the faith. The faith is that you understand that Christ Jesus is a manifestation of God. Is a servant of God that the Bible prophesied about. That is it. You understand that he's the lamb of God that takes away the sins of the whole world. You understand that he's the one that broke down the wall of partitioning between Jew and Gentiles. You understand that everything consists in Christ. That is what the faith is. Do you follow my point? Okay, all right. And you have to also realize, that no, assess yourself to be sure that you are walking in the knowledge of these things, that you are walking in the knowledge of the spiritual. That's why I just said you are too, still walking in faith. That is second um, expression there. Okay, so that's what we discussed up, up to last week. And today, I am still trying to make up my mind. Okay, I think I've made up my mind, actually. Just only one thing that has stayed in the last few minutes, so we're going to start with that. All right, let's open our Bibles to the book of um, Samuel, Second Samuel. We want to look at lessons from the life of David. Now, we, we did that off and on before. We looked at lessons from the life of... Did, did you ever do David? No. Well, I remember we did Joseph. We did Joseph. We did Moses. And then I think we looked at uh, even Ruth. Yes, we looked at Ruth. We looked at the number of those Bible characters... And the reason we said that, let's just read this portion, then I will say the things I want to say. Let me not forget to read the Bible to start. Did that tell us where to open to? Second Samuel. Samuel chapter 23. I just want to take um, a text of scriptures from here. He said, now these are the last words of David. David, the son of Jesse, declares, the man who was raised on high declares, the anointed of the God of Jacob. The sweet psalmist of Israel. What does he declare? The spirit of the Lord spoke by me, and his words were on my tongue. The God of Israel said, the rock of Israel spoke to me. He who rules over men righteously, who rules in the fear of God, is as the light of the morning when the sun rises, a morning without clouds, when the tender grass springs out of the earth. Through sunshine after rain. Truly is not my house so is God. That is, um, if you read that verse 5 in the New Living Translation, it puts it like this. He said, is, is it not my family God has chosen? Alright? He said, truly is not my house so is God. For he has made an everlasting covenant with me. Ordered in all things and secured for all my salvation and all my desire. Will he not indeed made, make it grow? But the worthless, every one of them will be thrust away like thorns. 
because they cannot be taken in hand. But the man who touches them must be armed with iron and the shaft of a spear, and they will be completely burned with fire in their place. I should read verses 6 and 7 in New Living Translation again. It says, But the godless are like the thorns to be thrown away, for they tear the hand that touches them. One must use iron tools to chop them down. They will be totally consumed by fire. And uh, we'll stop reading verse 7 here. After that, the, the, the discussion is on the strong men, the mighty men of David. But let's just stop reading here. Take this as our text of scripture. Now, why do we do this once in a while? Let me just remind us of it. I already use it to introduce any of these character expositions that we want to do um, uh, from the scriptures. Now, if you look at the life... Now, first, we are Christians. Amen? Amen. Let me just remind us again of what the faith is about. The faith. You know, we talked about it just a moment ago. We are believers in Christ Jesus. Actually, everything we believe is centered on the person of Jesus. That's just what it is. Let's know that's what Christianity is. Christianity is not a religion of good deeds. Do you get my point? No. Christianity is Christ Jesus. The man, Jesus Christ. That's Christianity. A life built around him. That's Christianity. Christianity is, it starts with Christ. It ends with him. Now, what I mean is that I only know the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, because of Jesus Christ, because he testified of him. I know Moses, and I accept the teachings of Moses because Jesus referred to Moses. Do you follow my point? All right? Jesus, for us, is everything. That is what Christianity is. He's a person we follow. We believe a lot of things about him, and those things are true. And he bears witness to those, those things with signs and wonders. By himself, he reveals himself to people. So that we will know him. That we may know him, alright, as one sent by God. He does that. And then he sends people that he has revealed himself to, to the rest of us, that we will know. That's why he stood, uh, he put um, Thomas as an example for us. And he said, blessed are those who believe without sin. So there are many things about him we did not personally see, but we heard the testimony. That is what Christianity is. It's important we understand because sometimes... Um, um, people think that Christianity is a drawdown from Judaism. Actually, it is not. It's not a type of Judaism. And sometimes when I see my brethren trying to teach, they create a lot of confusion in trying to make it look as if Christianity and Judaism are about the same thing. That is modern Judaism. It is not so at all. It is not so at all. You must understand that Christ is the end, actually, of Judaism. Okay? Is the end of Judaism. What we, what Christianity is, is a total, in fact, if you, if you have bothered to study other religions on this earth, you know there's nothing like Christianity. Because they don't have, in fact, let me not start there, okay? Let me not even go near that at all. So Christ Jesus is unique. What we understand about him is that he made this earth that we are in, and then one day he came into the earth that he created, and he came to the doorway, alright, of a, of a young woman called Mary. That's how he came. He, he existed before he came. Do you get my point? He only came. <laughs> Are you getting my point? He came like, in quote, in quote, visiting. But he came for a particular mission, all right? To redeem us back to the Father. He did just that. Now, that's what Christianity is. Now, our Bible, our scriptures, okay? They are the testimony of Jesus Christ. The Bible is a testimony of Jesus. All the books, the prophets, the apostles and the New Testament prophets, 
They testify of Jesus. So all our scriptures, therefore, they are the testimony of Jesus. When we are studying scriptures, we are not studying scriptures primarily for the sake of knowledge. We are studying scriptures for the knowledge of Christ Jesus. I hope you're getting my point here. We must understand it. You see, what we don't understand is the power of God is not released into our lives. Many people, they treat Christianity like um, modern religion. What I mean by modern religion? Is it like we're African, so let's leave Judaism out for a moment. Traditional African worship, we go to shrines. We have uh, carved gods that have different, well, there are different types in different regions. I know a lot of the ones in western Nigeria, that's where I grew up. So let me just use that as an illustration. Do they have gods in eastern Nigeria, Zef, apart from Amadioha? Huh? Many. Name like five for me. Five, oh, because you said so many. The way you said this so many with confidence. Hmm? Njoko is a god. What kind of god is he? Or was he? God of Yam. Or more. <laughs> god of Yam. Mm-hmm. So many, and you have only named one. Yes, that's what I asked you to do. Remember the names. He's a Christian. <laughs> I like that. He said he's a Christian. All things are passed away. He doesn't know those things again. If you go to Western Nigeria, I can name plenty for you. If you like that, when am I going to end? So you got me bragging as if I can name more than 10. 10 is plenty. I can't do up to 10, but I know things like... Um, uh, Ogun is the most common one that everybody knows Ogun. There's Obatala, there's Oya, there's Ishu. Ishu, what we call, we now call, in, Christians borrow that name and use it for the devil, alright? They're very similar, actually. That's why they call Ishu, alright? That's what Christians use to describe the devil. How many have I given you? No, four now. Uh, have I given you Shongo? God of Thunder. One that used lightning to kill people. Okay, I mentioned Ishu. I've given you like five now. I'm not impressed. Yeah, impressed. Okay. <laughs> then the, I think the most um, interesting of them all is um, Orumila. Orumila was a diviner, okay, and that's that's the one that's the head of the priests, the Ifa priests, or as they call him, Orumila Baba Ifa. You know, they, they have them, and I, for almost all of the ones they have in Western Nigeria, all of them, the ones I've mentioned, apart from maybe Obatala, all of them were people that lived there. They were, they were alive at the time. Oya was the wife of a particular king. I think it was Shongo's wife at a particular point in time. Shongo was the real ruler. He was. Ogun also was. You know, Ishu was the real follower of Ogun. And it used to cause a lot of trouble. Yeah, they really existed. Seriously. Okay? Yeah. There are people that lived. And just like the Greek um, gods also. A lot of them are believed to have lived. If you read, let me not go there. Okay? Now, the point I'm trying to make is, so we have um, different gods in different parts of um, Africa. Okay, I've just given you some of the ones from Western Nigeria. Okay, so, now those are the things that we call them like traditional religion. Okay? Now, when Christianity came, now this is a problem. Christianity came, now there are two forms of Christianity. There is a true Christianity, and then there is what I will call, for the purposes of our discussion today, pseudo-Christianity. Now that's what I want to talk about briefly. The pseudo-Christianity came to replace the old religion with a different form of worship, but they are still not worshiping properly. Please, you must understand this. A lot of people learned, they, see, first, in every, every generation, there are true worshippers and there are false worshippers. So many of those 
people that are just nominal worshippers. They are just the common people in the society who say that, what do you worship in this place? They say it's Ogun, and they worship Ogun. When they came one day, some people say, no, we're not, worship, we're not worshiping the Ogun again. What are we worshiping now? Then there's one other God called Jesus. So they go, they go to the shrine of that Jesus, and they call themselves Christian. They take the name, you know, David, Elijah, Philip, Andrew, and you now start calling them Christians. But the truth is that before, even the Ogun and Oya they were worshipping, they were not conscientious worshippers. They will worship anything that you bring. They are never conscientious worshippers. So they come into what you call Christianity, but again, they are not dedicated Christians. They don't care much more about Jesus than they ever cared about Ogun anyway in the first place. That's what I mean by false Christianity. Now, they now create a modern religion. They are the ones that if they are Catholics, they will kill you if you oppose their Catholicism, even though they don't care. But for them, it's about identity. They will be in a village, you see, the people who are Anglicans on this side, and those who are Catholics on this side, and they are mortal enemies. Something their religions don't teach. None of their churches teach that. But because they don't care about what the, uh, the church is teaching, what they just care about is their identity. So they, they are the ones that will fight to defend. Sometimes they actually can, they can fight to defend, you would think, Christ. But they're not defending Christ. They are defending their pride. This is our religion. Do you get my point? You go to Ireland. Ireland is divided down a line that separates Catholics from Protestants. So you find another island is part of the United Kingdom, and then the rest of Ireland is not. And it's just based on religion. Ireland is Catholic, Northern Ireland is a Protestant, a Protestant. And they became Protestant because of a king. I don't know whether you're getting my point. I met a woman once walked in my office. So we're talking. She said she's a Catholic. So I used to joke with her a lot. I said, You're a fake Catholic. How do you become a Catholic? She married a Catholic. I said, You're not, you see, I don't know whether you're getting my point. You married a Catholic. She was an Anglican until she got married. And when she married, she became my husband was a Catholic, so she married a Catholic. And I know the truth is that there was no conversion in her as an individual. It's just unity of the family that she's following. Except that Catholic doctrine differs quite widely from Anglican doctrine. So you see her trying to carry rosary, trying to do Hail Mary, the Lord is ED, and stuff like that. So every time I see her, I say, you're a fake Catholic. I tell her every day, any day we see, that you, are, you don't believe anything that's going on in there. You are just practicing um, unity of the family. So all of us in the same family, we go to the same church. Now, that's what I mean by modern religion. A lot of people treat Christianity like that. And if you see, when they practice Christianity, see, the practice is just the same as their former religion, except that the gods are different. I don't know whether you're getting my point. So, they go to church as a routine. They can come to church, the man in front is preaching, they don't care what he's saying. They come out of church, what did he say? Am I supposed to know? I've done my bit of coming and giving. He's on his bit of making a speech and praying for us, and we have gone. So they learn all the root things. They say, okay, as a good Christian, Catholic, or Anglican, or Baptist, whatever you are, these are the things you do. So he raised the family to say rosary in the morning. Doris doesn't really care who invented the rosary, who the rosary addresses. He will know all the words, though, but he doesn't care. And he will live after the loss of his flesh. One thing makes me laugh. When the world is dealing with Catholicism sometimes, I say you people are very funny. They say the reason why HIV is spreading and there's problem is, a, is that the, the church does not 
approve contraception and use of barriers like condoms and stuff like that. And that if the church will just agree, then you can solve the problem. I say, this is very funny. Do you ever bother to listen to the Pope or the church? If you bother to listen, that would not be an issue. It's not as if the Pope approves every other thing and then remove the one, one thing. No, he says certain things clearly to you about human sexuality. So if you are true, a true Catholic, you will listen to him entirely. And the issue of contraception and condoms and will not even come up. I hope you are getting my point. But why did they keep on being like that? Because, I mean, I was listening to P.S. Um, Morgan, right? Yes. He was intervening um, Rick Warren. He was intervening Rick Warren. And he made statements like, you know, he was talking about um, homosexuality, abortion, and same-sex marriage and all of that. He's in support. He was trying to corner Rick Warren. And he said, he said, look, I don't understand why some Christians would say it's an abomination that words like that. He said, look, I'm a Catholic. I said, no, you're not a Catholic. I hope you're getting my point. You are not a Catholic. Now, yes, you were born in the Catholic church. You were baptized when you had no choice. Did you have a choice as a baby? No. Then you now think that has brought into Christianity and specifically Catholicism. You are not a Catholic because that interview that day, he did not see anything that reflected the teachings of the Pope or the church. How, do, how are you a Catholic? That day I felt like knocking my TV. Hello, excuse me, sir. You are not a Catholic. And if I were there, in this, if I was one who was interviewing, I would bring it up to him. I don't think you can truly say you're a Catholic. Because how are you a Catholic when you don't believe what the church is saying? In fact, right now, the American Catholic Church, they're having that issue with Joe Biden. And the bishops met to say, listen, we're going to deny him the communion if he comes in. Why? Because all his policies are directly against the teaching of the church. Yes, he has his right as a president to do anything he wants or as a citizen. However, he should stop claiming to be one of us when he does not believe what we are teaching. So that's what marks out false Christianity. People just take it the same way they took the, you know, the traditional religions. So no matter what the church says, they will do what they want because they have not given enough attention to what the church is saying. For them, it's just a form of worship. That is, no, no, not form of worship now. It's a lifestyle to identity, you know, like, okay, I'm a Christian. So, in Nigeria today, we say Nigeria is 50% Christian. And God says, who told you that? When we say a state 50% Christian, go and ask the number of people who personally know the Lord. And when we say know the Lord in this context, we mean that they are deliberately following the teachings of the Lord Jesus Christ. If you can record 10%, that would be amazing. 10%. Ah, where you won't see them. You can't even, just even go to Pentecostal churches. You can't even record 20% amongst them. You know that? You can hardly record 20% amongst them. So they live their life the way they want. That is what I call the false religion. False Christianity. People bear the name Peter. Bear the name John. They bear the name Priscilla. They are baptized as babies. They grow up with the identity but the life is not the life of Christ at all. Please, I hope you're getting my point. Now, that's what causes the confusion. You know the truth? You know, most of these fundamental Muslims, the, you know, the extremists, part of the problem, now I'm not justifying anything, I'm not even siding anybody, but I just want to explain some of their viewpoint. Anything America does, they think is Christian. I don't know whether you're getting my point. So they tell their own women to dress one way, Every other way people dress, they assume that's the way Christians dress. Even though in our churches in Enugu, at least Anglican churches in this region, 
We put a sign in front, how a woman can't dress. But if an extremist sees the woman dressing the way we said he should not dress, he still assumes that that is Christian culture, that Christianity allows that. Why? Because many of the people that name the name Christian, they live carelessly. So those fundamentalists assume that's a reflection of what we believe, when in actual fact, it is not a reflection of what we believe. Now, what is true Christianity? That's where I began from, all right? It's about the person of the Lord Jesus. Okay, I was saying something before I get back to that. So those who practice false Christianity, they practice it exactly the same way idolatry is practiced. The gods are just different. So when there's a problem, they offer a sacrifice to Jesus Christ. And they have a lot of apostles these days and ministers of false Christianity. And that's why, please, I don't know whether one of our magazines, or one of the most recent ones, the title is, is not like other gods. And that's what I tried to address inside there. Many people just switched the gods they are worshipping. The same way they all worship the other, certain days of the year. This is the, the day we worship um, Amadioha. Or what name of that thing? The only one you could remember after sweating for like five minutes before Israel is delivered you with the revelation that all things have passed away. <laughs> it's in Joko or something. This one says a god of yam. So when there's new yam, we go to worship in Joko. And the rest of the year, we don't care about him. We don't care about him. We give his priest two tubers of yam. And if the whole community gives that priest two tubers of yam, you have enough yam to last him for two years. And we'll still bring it under set next year. So everybody's happy. So when we come to Christianity, false Christianity, we also do that for the Lord Jesus Christ. On Christmas Day, it's his birthday. And we dress pictures of him up on his birthday. We buy him birthday presents. And we sing songs to him. And he's sitting in heaven and wondering, what are they talking about? And the angels come early in the morning, happy birthday, said to who? We therefore we do Christmas once in a while to celebrate Jesus the same way we celebrate Njoku once a year. Then we gather and we celebrate with fanfare, you know, like a lot of, hey, it's happening, it's Christmas. Oh, Christmas day, oh, Christmas tree, oh, Christmas house, oh, Christmas everything. We light up everywhere and Jesus is wondering what is going on here. I hope you know he doesn't recognize any of it. Just looking at us. He doesn't quarrel simply because we are just having fun. He said they want to play. Okay, let their children have something to celebrate. And it's good in life to have something to celebrate. It's very good. They will not come one day and say it is Easter. When I said Easter Friday, I know it's Good Friday. Some of you are laughing at me. You think I don't know. I know it's Good Friday. I just want to let you know it's Easter I'm talking about. So we start Easter on Friday. There's Holy Thursday, Good Friday. No, Easter didn't start on Thursday. Holy Thursday is before Easter. Look at this man. He doesn't even know. I have to teach him everything. <laughs> is there anything like Easter Saturday, actually? There is a Saturday in the middle, but is it called Easter Saturday? Or is it a break? Holy Saturday, thank you. They will not have the Easter day gone gone, which is what? Easter Sunday. And that's the day Jesus rose up from the dead, which is not possible, we all know. Yes. No, it's not the resurrection that I'm saying. That is a Sunday, that's what I'm saying. Because it was in the belly of the earth for three days and three nights. Friday to Sunday is two days and two nights. It's true. It's two days and two nights. All right? We have, I've known this for more than 30 years. 
But we just leave it. It's not important. We just want to celebrate. Now, for those who do not know, how that came about is simply that the church was trying to replace. People like to celebrate. So, the church will get to a particular place and people will not, they will not agree to stop that their, um, uh, that festival. Maybe like is the masquerade, the village masquerade that's coming out or the new year festival. So we'll change it. Christians will now come and change the festival. It's no longer, what's the name of the masquerade? I hope you know that one because you don't know. When do they do masquerade in your place? If you are not talking to you, talking to you. You, you don't even know what a masquerade is looking at your face. <laughs> You know, they have all kinds of masquerades, alright? So what Christians will now do is that they will now say, okay, that day of that masquerade, they will change the name and say it is a day of, um, how many something frightening that happened in the Bible that Christians love? Hmm? First of all, it's not frightening, is it? I want something that the, we can now use something like a masquerade to celebrate it. Okay, maybe Pentecost or Transfiguration, one of the two. Then instead of wearing masquerade, we'll now be wearing one bright white excessive attire. Say this was what Jesus looked like. We'll now call it Transfiguration Day. Then the people will now create another festival. Now remember, most traditional people are not even sincere worshippers. Remember that? And I said that earlier. So they don't mind. They'll just, what they want is the celebration. So next year they say that it's not masquerade again, no, it's not transfiguration. They say, what does it matter? The party remains the same. So people will see travel everywhere. So that's what Christians did when they created Christmas. It had nothing to do with the birth of Jesus. When they created Easter, the same thing. We're just replacing traditional worship that we met when Christianity was advancing. So as to give people things to still celebrate. So we find good things. The birth of Jesus is a brilliant thing. Except that Jesus remained a baby for a very long time, which he doesn't like. Easter, we say, is Friday to Sunday. Again, the truth is that, I don't have time to explain it now. Taking Saturday as a Sabbath, Jesus was crucified on Wednesday and he rose on Friday, a Saturday evening. Alright, if you check that, that's three days and three nights. And it was seen early morning on Sunday. That's just the way it works, alright? But of course, we were replacing some that did not recognize that. But the problem, however, which is what I'm trying to bring out, is that people, the same way they were lackadaisical with their traditional worship, they brought that into Christianity, they never made a full commitment. They just went into the habits, the religion. They created a whole new religion, which we call Christianity. Unfortunately, it's not Christianity. Modern-day Pentecostals created their own is even worse. They went deep into sacrifices. So now start saying silly things like, you offer a thousand burnt offerings because, you know, we start, we, you know, we take that, some of, some of us, that's us, some of them, because that to call those people us will not be right. Some actually will still be doing animal sacrifices in the guise of Christianity. They build a church. They often wear white. And they will go and be offering animal sacrifices. And they tell you they are doing Christianity. The only Christianity they bought is that you hear the name Jesus once in a while. And the sign of the church is something Church of Christ. It can be Galactic Church of Christ. 
all right, Planetary Church of Christ, you know, Nebula Church of Christ. They just put Church of Christ in it, but it's not Christianity. A lot of Pentecostals, they worship, you know, you see, we start offering sacrifices. One day I was in a church, there was, one man was preaching. If I, at the point in time I asked the person who, who I went with, say, what is he trying to do? The man was preaching. So I said, what is he trying to do? They said, he's raising money. I said, let him raise money and leave the place and stop telling lies. I just saw the person who took me there. I said, what's nonsense all of this? Because he was telling a story of how they used to worship God those days. And how regularly they would take an offering to a particular shrine. And they would do this and do that. And I was reasoning to myself. Now what he was saying is that, you see, if we could do that for a false God, how much more are we going to do for Christ? So we used to go with our best offerings, best goods, best yam. So now this morning all of us will come with our best money, thank you. Ah, <laughs> have you done it before? <laughs> that will come with our best money and come and worship. And he said many more things. That's just the one I want to bring out that I can easily remember. So I told the person that we went with, I said, well, what is he trying to do? Can't he see that he's contradicting himself? You want us to worship Jesus the same way you worship a false god. Does that not tell you that that worship was false? I mean, why do you want to transform? the form of worship to somebody else now. You should have rejected that God and his worship system and come to Christ to learn his own worship system. His own worship is simple. Those that worship must worship how? In spirit and in truth. It's not their offerings that he's after. It's not. Okay, the second thing I said I wanted to talk about was about money. I wanted to take it so, a number of series so that Christians, because the major contention for, for the heart of the people of God, all right, with God and Christ Jesus is money. All right? The way we spend, we, we use offering in Christianity, it is not, the way we use money, I wanted to say, in Christianity, is not as an offering in itself. So that day that man was speaking, and I looked, I said, you are contradicting yourself. You have abandoned that form of worship. Why are you bringing the form to another God? Which is what we do a lot in Christianity. So many of the things that Christians practice today is a combination, listen to this, of Judaism mixed with African method of worship. They mix it together and bring it into Christianity. So we build buildings and say it's for God. There's no building that's for God. Let me just tell you clearly. There's none. All the buildings we build are for us. Why do I say they are for us? It's where we gather. If I want to donate a building, assuming I'm from one village in Enugu now and I'm rich and I want to give them, I won't give them a church. Because they'll think I'm trying to impress God. I'm not. I want to help my community. So I'll build a massive community center. Because I'm a Christian, I will recognize the fact that many of the halls in there will be used for worship, where Christians gather. Christians can gather on Sunday, and wedding will happen next Saturday. I don't have a problem with it. But I'll purpose build it in such a manner, okay, that somebody can stand and preach. But I, w- I personally wouldn't give them a church. Because if I give them a church, they will worship it. Did you hear what I said? I didn't say they will worship in it. Too. They will worship it. Their houses will be dirty, but they will come and clean this building. You can, no, it's really, you see somebody sleeping in filth six days of the week. Then on Sunday, it comes to a sparkling clean 
arena and he says that he's a Christian. You're not a Christian. You're a dirty Jew. Yeah, you're a dirty human. You should go and clean up your house. A true Christian cleans his bedroom, his sitting room, his compound, as much as he cleans the church. So it's very common with us when we bring in the traditional form of worship into Christianity. For us to go to one of our villages, and you see one, one of my friends said that that's how you know people who worship idols. That you come into their city, into their village, into their community. You see a lot of poor homes. Then you see one massive temple. You look, the people are living in poverty. Small, small houses, managing tarts roofs, small hot buildings. Then suddenly in the center, you see one massive building. So that's how you know people who worship idols. Then we take it and bring it to Christianity. So you go to villages, you see small, small homes all over the place. They now see one massive structure, which two billionaires from Lagos came to build for us. And they call it maybe a Catholic church or an Anglican church or a Pentecostal church, whatever it is. And you know what? They feel as if they are serving God. If they bother to speak with me, I will accept, please, let's not waste our time. Use our money to build a community center. Let it have classrooms where children can come and learn. Let it have a place where they can do trade shows. Let it have one or two halls where churches can meet and have special meetings. There is no building that is for God. All the buildings are for us. I'm talking about brick and mortar, cement and iron rod. I hope you're getting my point. Granite stone <laughs> and sand. There's none that's for God. All of them are for us. The only building that is for God, can somebody touch one for me? Oh, ho, ho, ho. thank you. Our bodies are the temple of the Holy Spirit. Then our gathering is the temple of the Holy Spirit. Wherever we gather, that's the temple of the Holy Spirit. When we are alone one-on-one, each individual's body is a temple of the Holy Spirit. That is what Christianity is. As for the building, is for us, for our comfort. So, strictly speaking, the church we gather in shouldn't really be... Okay, let me put it like this. So that let me not take from negative. Let me put it from the positive. The church we gather in should just be a reflection of how we live. I hope you're getting my point. If all of us are living in tarched houses with mud walls, we'll build a bigger tarched building with fatter mud walls because more of us we gather here in our homes. We're probably a father, a mother, three children on the average as an example. But in the church, when we gather, we'll probably be like 50. So we just need it to be bigger. But it's not like we'll have mud huts and they will now kill ourselves to buy galvanized steel. Shine is a marble, marble pulpit. That is half of our harvest for one year is to build a building because we think erroneously it is for God. It's not for God. It's for us. Now, I'm explaining something here. So that's the mistake we make. We take traditional worship, mix it with, um, Judaism, remnants of Judaism, and call it Christianity. That is not true Christianity. True Christianity is about the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. True Christianity is one in which you have a personal relationship. Now, I don't mean you are chat friends, that like you're on Facebook chatting with each other. Because when we say that sometimes, people actually wonder, what do I mean by personal relationship? I'll tell you, this is very simple. One, a day came in which you made your commitment to personally follow Jesus. And then you listen out for his voice all the time. And his primary voice is in the scriptures. So you live your life, you adapt your life to everything that he says. 
like we pray, we declare all the time, you walk in a manner worthy of him to please him in all respects. That's what we mean by personal relationship. Don't worry, he knows you. He does. Oh, yes, he does. That's what we mean, that we don't treat him carelessly. Like when I was teaching this morning, something led to it. I just had to speak to the people for almost an hour. I had two hours to teach. I took an hour to teach people about taking the word of God seriously. People come to church. You are teaching. They are sitting outside. If I, reminded, I reminded them of a story of when I went to preach in one NYC um, uh, state program. And I got there. <laughs> Who did I go with that day? Can't even remember. But we parked. And there was prayer meeting going on inside. Somebody was sharing and they were praying. And outside, you know what I saw? Some people gathered. They were turning a bar. And they were happy. You know what's it called a bar? Then after a while, and I sat in my car, I was watching them. And many of them were gathered together. Smile. They were taking selfie with Eba. Yeah, literally. And I sat there, I was watching them. I didn't say anything. When I got into the hall, I had them close the Eba joint. I told everybody in the Eba joint to please come into the hall. How can they be praying inside? And you are taking selfie with Eba outside. It's total disregard for the Lord Jesus Christ. I mean, if for any reason you had to even be outside, you would be outside with fear and trembling. Tell them, please, quickly, say, no, this water is not yet hot. Please remove the fire. It will be hot after the prayer. Why should they be praying? By the time I started teaching, they were still there laughing and taking selfie with Eba. You know, you know the, the size of Eba that, uh, you know, hundreds of people are going to eat. They were just taking selfie with it. And the soup. So I told them to shut it down and move everybody inside. It's respect for the word of God. This morning, because somebody led to it where I went to teach, I had to sit down and explain it to them. Because, of course, again, I came and I see people sitting in the overflow hall, just in the way. I said, I did not part of the program. People are inside worshiping and praying, and you are talking because they put in the overflow. You should sit down there and do your ears like this, so that you hear everything, because they had the speaker outside. Talking about personal relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. What it means is that anytime his word is coming forth, you listen for it, number one, and you listen to it. You know, there are two prepositions. What are the English masters in the house? Is that a preposition? Eh? That's prep, right? Yes. My English is good. <laughs> so you listen for it. That is, you are listening. Where is it? You know, the way you tune your radio. So they tell you the frequency is 98.2. You go to 98.15. You know it's not clear. You know these days we have, we have digital radios that are scanned by themselves. So you scan up and down and miss it. Because it's faint. So you take over with manual scanning. And go to 98.15. It will be faint a bit. You move to exactly 98.2. It's clear a bit but it's faint. You move to 90, 98.25. Then it's, it's dropping off again. So you come back to 98.2 realizing that that's where you have the best reception. You have, that's what they call listening out for. Now you're not listening carefully to. Now that you have located it and it's faint, have you done this before? I do it once in a while. You push the earphones deep into the ear canal. And you'll be asking yourself, am I close to the eardrum before I go and puncture something? You want to shut out the, the kind of earphones I have, these ones that have soft rubber padding around them. Shut out all the noise. That's what I mean by listening carefully to. 
It's called respect for the word of God. That's what we mean when we're talking about a personal relationship. That you don't take his words lightly. You don't. Just by the way. If you're a person in authority, about the worst thing somebody can do to you, one of the worst, is to disregard your word. I don't know whether you, how many of you have felt it. Disobeying you is bad. But disregarding is worse. You know what disregard? You're talking, it's as if you're not saying anything. You see everybody move and they look at you and they continue doing what they are doing like you didn't say anything. Oh my God. It's annoying. It's actually worse than when somebody says, yes sir, okay sir. And then when you move, they go back to what they are doing. That is they heard you, they paid attention. Then after you left, they tried to score through the instruction. But the one that is worse is the one in which you are talking, they do like, are you talking to us? No, you can't, you are not. And then they continue what they are doing. A lot of Christians do that with the Lord Jesus. And I can assure you of one thing, he feels just as bad. It feels just as bad. I heard somebody prophesy recently that the Lord said, I'm a God of anger. And I'm angry with those who claim to be mine and live like they are not. This traditional Christianity, this what I call false Christianity, God is going to judge it before he judges things like Islam. Yeah, because you see, it's actually worse. Well, I don't know the order, but he will judge it more severely. He will judge it more severely. Ah, what kind of thing is this? Make up your mind. You're that cold or hot. Don't bear the name Andrew, Philip, you know, Joshua, and you mix it together, say it's Christianity. And then we'll get to your homes. It's idolatry I find inside. When you actually have problems, ah, if you want God to destroy you, quick, quick. Go to Babalawa when you have problems. If sickness takes you to Babalawa as a Christian, that sickness will kill you. Now, the sickness was not planning to kill you before. They were just planning to punish you small. Then in trying to solve it, you now go to a, a, the shrine of an idol. Jesus will now come there by himself and stab you there. Mark those words. Don't think I'm kidding. Jesus will have more respect for you if you lie down at home and say, if you lie, kill me, Jesus Christ, I will die in your hands. You know, when you finally die, if you do, he will hug you, carry you by himself from earth to heavenly places. He will. But you say you're a Christian, did not tell you that there's one devil somewhere. Why do you think God kills all? Two, <laughs> two offenses. One, the word of the Lord that he did not keep and that he consulted a witch. Ah, that was an insult. Now, I'm talking about personal relationships. So, when we're talking about true Christianity, it's about a personal relationship. What is that personal relationship? Listen, his hands are always stretched out. So, it's not about him knowing you. He already knows you. It's not about him calling you. He has already called everyone. There's one song we used to sing those days that you, didn't, you did not wait for me to cry out to you, but you had, let me hear your voice calling me. I'm forever grateful. Do you know, remember the song? I'm forever grateful to you. Okay, this one song we used to sing those days. Now, the song explained to us that he didn't even wait for us to reach out. He was the one that started calling out. So, what I'm going to say is that talking about a personal relationship, don't worry, his hands are already stretched out. So, you responding to him is what makes that relationship personal. In true Christianity, you don't just disregard what Jesus is saying. You don't. If you come 
like I was saying, into a place where his word is coming out, you treat it with utmost respect. If you want to do something, they tell you that Jesus said no. Ah, say, are you sure? Even if you are not sure, you don't do anything yet until you clarify whether he said no or he didn't. If you heard that, he said, take no thought for the morrow. And all the plans you have for the morrow before, you go and meet the planner who charged you, you know, uh, you know, his investment consultant and retirement planner. They exist, don't they? You go and meet the fellow, sir. How much did I pay you? 75000 You can keep the money. Will you refund anything? He says, no, this is the paper you gave me last week on how to worry about tomorrow. Take. So, by the way, the one you sent by email, I have deleted the file. Why? Just simply because I was reading my Bible the other day. He said, take no thought for the morrow. That's what he said. Now, you, we said, he says, don't worry about tomorrow. You know what he actually said? Don't think about tomorrow. <laughs> you know, sometimes when we want to continue our own way, why not seeming to disobey him? We'll define what he said. So he just said, please, I discovered what the Lord said. For that reason, I will no longer be interested in this seminar because I'm not retiring for the next 10 years. He said I should be planning for it now. I know it sounds very, very wise, doesn't it? But it's human wisdom. It's not godly wisdom. Seriously. One woman, I love her story. They said during the Second World War, this was in England, they had these bombing, bomb shelters. They had it all over Europe so that when your enemies start bombing, you go and hide. So this woman, <laughs> wanted they stop seeing her, the, town people, the townspeople, they stopped seeing the woman. So the siren would go off. Everybody rushed there. They look for this madam. She's not there. So everybody assumed that she had gotten killed in one of the raids. So maybe a bullet, a bomb, or something had hit her and she had died. So they were just, then one day, I think it was the pastor, someone was walking on the street, one of the people in the town was walking on the street one day. And saw her on the room, coming from the market. Ah! Let's assume her name is McGregor. Madam McGregor, what's going on? Oh, thank God you're alive and well. We don't see you at the shelter anymore. What happens? She said, oh, that one. Now, one day she was in her Bible. And that she discovered that the Bible says that God neither sleeps nor slumbers. So she reasoned that there's no point two people keeping awake. So since God does not sleep or slumber. So once she hits the bed, she's not getting up for anybody. So it got to a point where the siren couldn't wake her up anymore. Because the bomb raises to be at night, you know, where the planes could take cover in darkness. So she said, I read in my scriptures that the, the Bible says that God neither sleeps nor slumbers. And that is the one watching over us. So she just reasoned that since those bomb things happen at night, the, the Lord is awake. Two of us cannot be doing the job. So decided to leave it for God. <laughs> and that's how she lived throughout the war. The bombing raid. She's not getting off for anybody. She's not getting off for anybody. Once it's at night, she's asleep. That the Lord is awake. Tell God to run to the bomb shelter. He's the one that is awake. That she takes the word of God that seriously. The problem, let me say, with Christianity is that people actually don't take God seriously enough. They read the scriptures, like I was saying earlier, the same way they did not take, you know, Ogun didn't have instructions. I hope you get my point. He had a few taboos, what they call Ewa. Ogun had a few Ewas. So if you, had, if, if you were serving Ogun, you didn't have to worry. Ogun didn't care whether you took your neighbor's wife. You know, he didn't care. 
He had nothing to say about it. He didn't even address the issue. The only thing Ogun will do is if your neighbor goes to report you to him. And the only thing he can do is to kill you. Doesn't mediate. <laughs> you know a shoe I told you about? What they used to use a shoe for is to cause the, 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 the babalawos that caused trouble, the juju men that did evil, they were worshippers of a shoe. So if your neighbor is, oh, there's another one, Shokono. Those are the troublesome ones. So if you're a worshipper, if you, if you offended somebody, you will carry certain sacrifices to issue that issue forbids. I don't know whether I get the point. There's anything that you should, must never see. So you go to issue with those sacrifices and say that you sent him. And the issue was wicked. They used to release the issue on people. <laughs> Ogun, Ogun had a few awards. There's a way you don't, you don't, you didn't used to keep an empty calabash. You know, a, you know, a god of, um, god, sorry, not, uh, now god, not g-o-d, g-o-u-r-d. Is that, is that in pronunciation correct? God or god. What did he say? In, in, god. Anyway, that, uh, container. If it's empty, you don't keep it standing. You must lie it on the side. Why? Because if Ogun sees it, he will think, just like Jesus Christ, that there's fruit on that tree. You know, Jesus saw a tree and said, you have fruit. So they believe that if Ogun sees it, and he will go there to drink. Oh, he was a drunkard. When they worship him, they worship him with dogs and palm wine. So anytime you have a calabash or a god of palm wine, you turn it on the side if it's empty, so that he won't get angry. Because when he comes and he tries to drink, he doesn't find it. He kills everybody around there. It's a very useless one. <laughs> now, the point I'm going to make, however, is that he doesn't have anything to say about any other thing. If you lie still from your neighbor, he has no commandment. Take another man's wife. Mm-hmm. Jump over the fence into your neighbor's compound and steal his uh, goat. He has no commandment. And when you come to offer a sacrifice, he won't talk about it. Do you get my point? Now, many of us now want to bring that to Christianity. In which we give God a tithe. We give him first fruit. We manufacture new ones regularly. First fruit is the latest addition. When did we add that one? Apostle, you were in the committee that planned it. When did you, when did you release into Nigerian Christianity? You met it? Okay. <laughs> no, we plan all kinds of, ah, God have mercy on us. Like Carlos we do in the name of the Father of the Son of the Holy Spirit. We need, we need it. We need that mercy. We do. What we do is that we start just trying to offer him sacrifices so that we will get what we want out of him and appease him. A lot of our dedication to tithe, 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 nothing but idolatry. I'm sorry to say it. I'm sorry, I'm sorry. I know many people won't like it, but that's what it is. It's our way of trying to, you know, gain control over our own safety. Gain control over our own lives. People start calculating. I remember one brother went in school. He said one day that um, I think he lost something and he began to pray and he was rebuking and commanding and claiming and claiming. He said, then suddenly he remembered I didn't complete his tithe last month. Ah! He now began to plead God for mercy. I said, you see, that was how he should have started. But now he had the right. You know, he felt, I ha- listen, God, I have done my part. 
you will rebuke the devourer. And the devourer came near me. Right now, I bind the... I was looking at him like this. He said he had prayed that prayer. I was a year my senior in school. He said he had prayed that prayer. They now remember that last month his tithe was not complete. Ah! He now said, God, I'm sorry. He now began to plead mercy. I told him, I said, okay, that was where you should have started from. If you plead mercy, you never have to remember anything. You don't have to remember anything. Just plead that mercy. Because whether you are in quote, tithed or not, mercy works. So why don't you just plead the mercy? Why do you want to go to the realm of works? True Christianity, most of the things we practice is not found in it. In true Christianity, the most important thing is our attention to his word. That is what he calls worship in spirit. It's not because somebody gave us instructions, but because we know the person that we are worshiping. I listened to the, to the Prince say something the other a few days ago. I never heard that expression before, but let me just share it with you. He called it, he said the Bible contains what he calls exemplary judgments. I never saw that before. So he said that when Uzzah died, it was an exemplary judgment. So that many other people that may touch the ark may not die. But it does not mean that God doesn't kill for it. But he has set an example for you to know his attitude. So when Ananias and Sapphira died, they were exemplary judgments. So you see later, people in church did a lot of those lying, but they didn't die. He said God has set those people as examples. Basically that in those things, you see the attitude of God towards some things. The judgment is still the same, except that it may be delayed in our lives. And of course, you know, when time God gives us time, it is for the sake of repentance. So you touch the ark, you did not die. And you want to use that as proof that ark doesn't kill. Touching it does not kill. No, don't worry. <laughs> you, will, you will die later. That touch is still going to kill you one day. You know that God is hoping that one day you'll be reading your Bible, or somebody will be sharing the word of God, and the fellow will say to you, look, this was what happened, and then Uzzah died. Then you remember, ah, but I trust the ark three years ago. And then your spirit will say, no, you are dying slowly. Then you will go and repent because you have seen the attitude of God towards the touching of the ark. Just by the way, there are things you did in the past. You didn't think anything of it. The revelation comes to you today that it was wrong. Don't just assume it's past. It's not past. The Bible says, only acknowledge your iniquity. Then it becomes past. Don't laugh about it. <laughs> it was those days. Just laugh. No. Feel grief for it today. You essentially will relieve that moment. You will go back and say to God, if you give me the opportunity again, I will never do that again. Because now, now, this is six years later. I realize that this is displeasing to you. And I did this six years ago. But when I did, I didn't know. Paul said that, God had mercy because I did it in what? In ignorance. And what God gives as a blessing is light. So if the light of God ever shines over a past deed in your life, don't just throw it away like nothing happened. It's not a big deal. It's not as if you're going to do something serious. Right there and then, light has shown on it. Recall it to mind and say to the Lord, I am sorry. By saying that, you, 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 you say if we confess our sins, it's faithful and just to forgive us of our sins, and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That's just by the way. Of course, cleansing of all unrighteousness, what does that mean? It has many meanings. But the one I like, which I apply a lot, is that any effect that that thing has in your life, then God starts purging it. You don't have to do it yourself. He will do it. He says, only acknowledge. 
Go and read Jeremiah chapter 3. He explained, he said, only acknowledge, ah, I pray you understand the mercy of God. He said, only acknowledge your iniquity. Don't try and solve it. Don't try and fix it. Just acknowledge. Just say, Lord, I did that. It was crazy. It was wrong. Thank you that you didn't kill me like you killed Uzzah. <laughs> you just say, God, if I was Uzzah, by now I'll be dead. And you give me six years. You know the truth? That judgment of death has been hanging over your head. And God kept it up like they said, no, let, let it not land. I will reveal to him, I will reveal to her. The person will repent, and he will zap away that judgment. And it will never come. You know where the judgment goes? Who can tell me where does it go? Christ. Christ. It slams on the, on the body of Christ on the cross. And Jesus feels the pain again. Yeah, that's what, that's what he does. He just slams it on him. He takes the pain. And then you are free, permanently. Now, I'm talking about the, uh, respecting the words of Jesus. So we see the attitude of God towards some things in the scriptures. And then because of love for him, that's what we call personal relationship. That if you discover something he doesn't like, you automatically start disliking it too. You know the example I give all the time? That we used to play April Fool as young, young people. I played April Fool only once in over 33 years. He said once. Yes, I remember that one. In 33 years. And even the people I played, it, played that one on, you know, somebody played it on me. And it was such an, such an ingenious one. I wanted to share with people, say, guys, see this one. But really, I wasn't into a pre That if you count that one, it's one, that's the only time in about, in over 32 years, I can say for sure. I've not played a pre since since maybe around 1989 or 88. Why? Because I discovered the attitude of Jesus. Towards those who deceive their, their friends and say they were joking. You say you are like a madman. <laughs> Casting firebrands and arrows. He says, such is one who deceives his neighbor and says, King Jesus, was I not in sport? That we're only joking. The day I found it, I said, Christ Jesus, thank you very much. Thank you for the mercy you have shown up till now. Henceforth, no more April Fool in my life. I went Twitter, I was still in Nigeria. Every April 1st, I tweeted early in the morning. So all the Christians following me on Twitter will not sin that day. <laughs> and many people like, ah, ah, Pastor Frank, what do you mean? We can't joke again. I said, me? No, you can joke all you want. I just told you what Jesus said. That's all. That is what we call a personal relationship. It's not like other gods, like I was saying. Ogun doesn't care what to do with your neighbor's wife. What is his own problem? As long as his dogs are complete during sacrifice. And that's what some of us bring into Christianity. And anyone who pre- preaches that kind of doctrine, in this season, God is going to neutralize you. Yeah? If he has mercy on you, just neutralize your ministry. You'll be going around like an aimless, you know, aimless creature. Nobody, you can't preach, you can't eat, you can't sleep. Just be, just be aimless. You'll neutralize your ministry. And if he's angrier still, he will neutralize you. You know when the Nigerian military said five insurgents were neutralized? They did not put them in acid and basil. <laughs> I hope I get my point. They shot them and buried them. That's what I mean. We can't preach those lying doctrines. Because the difference between Jesus Christ and other religions is that in, knowing in true Christianity is not about commandments. It's about the spirit. In fact, in Christianity, we go back to Judaism and use the laws of Moses to see, and use to see the attitude of God towards certain issues. 
And we don't just obey instructions. We drink of the spirit. It's an attitude matter. So that even though we didn't have a particular instruction in an area, we will say like Paul, do it this way, do it this way. Why? I have the spirit of God. There are things people have told me before, and I have no scripture to support what I said directly. I just said, no, you can't do that. Why? It's not the way God does things. And that's the only thing I can tell you. And that's why I, <laughs> why I tell you that when sometimes somebody is preaching, and I pinch my wife, happened a few days, I say, don't mind him, he's lying. I said, how do you know? He said, just not the way God does things. There's no commandment that says that if any man speaks like this, is lying. Okay, let me give you an example. You hear me say that one of the ways you know false prophets are they heal them when they are ministry. Have you ever seen a scripture that says that? Do you have, you, why would I be asking that kind of foolish question? Why do people have false prophets in Lagos? I forgot that the headquarters was in a court too. <laughs> and that place is going to be desolate. We have spoken that the place will be a desolation. And anyone that tries to rebuild in the same form in which it used to be will bring the judgment of Jericho that Joshua placed upon the wall of Jericho, upon that individual's life. That's the truth. Right now, we don't vex. Go to Lagos and tell your Lagos people that we are angry. We are angry. We are angry. People tolerated nonsense for a long time. Anyway, but in Lagos also, he's the man who gave the final word. The last word. Yes. So we'll forgive you. <laughs> the Lord is good. So you see all those prophets operate. You see them operate. And I said that anyone who's operating like this, he's prophesying and they are saying, hey, go deeper, Papa. Go deeper. Say, can I prophesy? Say, prophesy some more. My father, you are too much. That's exactly what somebody said. Why somebody was prophesying? Is it my father? You are too much. My papa, you are forensic. <laughs> Go deeper, papa. Go deeper. Familiar spirits in operation. There's no commandment in scripture. I just know the Holy Spirit does not tolerate some things. If the Holy Spirit wants a minister, he wants quiet. The only thing I found in scripture is say, bring me a minstrel. Now one plays a cool music, gets a prophet into a cool mental, spiritual environment. And when he's speaking, all other prophets are silent. Everything is done what? Decently and in order. That's how the Holy Spirit operates. This cacophony where somebody's hailing you so you can do some more. That's how we know you are using familiar spirits. We just know the attitude of God. I hope you are getting my point. That's what real Christianity is. Real Christianity is that, look, I go to my office. I don't have any commandment. I don't have any instruction, but I pray. As I'm operating that business, I start discovering what Jesus Christ will love me to do and love me not to do. I was just thinking about you know, over my life, you know, the, uh, my family and stuff over the last few days. But today as I was driving from where I went to minister in the morning, I just shook my head again. I said, ha, Lord, you actually, you know, you insist on certain things in our lives, sir. I won't tell you what now. There are things that if I told you, you wonder what is wrong with me. That is, are you saying the Lord is insisting on that? I said, that's what it's appearing like to me. Meanwhile, the opposite is normal. Everybody does it every day. But God is saying, if you want to walk in the depths of my love, if you want to walk in the depths of my power, these are adjustments you have to make. Like I said, Abraham, God kept fine-tuning Abraham for 60 years until he got to a point where he could test him 
and they will say, indeed, I trained this one. And that's what, what we're talking about, personal relationship with Christ. That's what we mean. Every day we are looking for what pleases him, what displeases him. What does he want? What does he not want? What is it in my life that he does not like? Even though the society accepts it, my friends accept it, everybody think it's, they think it's all right, but Jesus says, no. And I go with that of the Lord Jesus Christ, even if it is painful. That is what we mean when we say personal relationship. That Jesus is personal to you. He's personal to you. He's not a Christmas Jesus. He's not an Easter Jesus. He's a daily Jesus, a moment by moment, thought by thought Jesus Christ in your life. And you are building your life upon the thoughts that he has expressed in the scriptures for you. That is what we call a personal relationship with Christ Jesus. Many people claim they are Christians. They don't have it. And if anybody is listening to me and you don't have it, you need to have it. That's what it means to be born again. That is true Christianity, which is not just a form of idolatry in which we're just changing the gods. Instead of Ogun, it's now Jesus. <laughs> like the testimony of that man I tell once in a while in Benin. He said his family, they used to go to church, his wife and his children. He was a traditional worshiper, a Benin prince. And he said that he had no problem with their going to church. Why? Because as far as he was concerned, now he had many gods. And he said, my gods have been good to me. And so here there's another God his family is worshipping. Wasn't for that God? Jesus Christ. A God that came lately. You know, there's that experience in the Bible. God was angry with Israel. He said, this is God's people brought in lately. <laughs> so he thought this is another God that came lately. So oh, they seem to like it. Young people like this Jesus. That's nice. Hope he can do something good for my kids. That's what he was thinking. He, he said he didn't think it, but he didn't. It, it wasn't. He wasn't angry with it. It's just like you are in a family, they worship a Molech and Ashtaroth, and then somebody now comes and brings Baal. You know, there's no anger. This was the God of fertility, God of increase. You have now brought God of thunder. She will not kill us, no won't kill us. What will happen? You will protect our house from, from rain. Eh, put it there now. You create more space for it. He did not realize that the God those people brought is the one and true God. is the only God. All the other ones he was worshipping, they are fake. And his family took his matter to that true God. And they said to him, have mercy upon our daddy. He's both blind and confused. Please reveal yourself to him. And Jesus said, all right, no problem. And one day he was sleeping. Maybe the Lord himself was sent an angel. He woke him up. He woke up. He knew somebody woke him up, but he didn't see anybody. He said it was 3 a.m. And the person said, get up. And he got up. Go into your shrine room. He had a room where he kept his gods. So he went in there. He said, get bags. He brought two bags. Pack all the gods. Things that had been working on since he was a young man. At that time, he was about 60 years of age. Some of them have been there for decades. Some of them, he literally pours blood on them every day. Layers and layers of caked blood. So the person said, pack them. He packed everything. So everything came into two traveling bags. So said, take them to your car. Nobody woke up. Everybody was asleep. 
He dragged the two bags to the boot of his car. He said, I had not driven in years. Because he had a driver. He had not driven in years. So, but that night, he had to drive. And the person told him to go to a particular river in Benin. And he drove to that river. This whole thing took about an hour. He said, that night, it was already getting early in the morning. It was 4 a.m. He said, yeah, throw the gods, the two bags, over the bridge into the water. So he stopped on the bridge, threw the bags <laughs> into the water. And that was how his years of idolatry ended. He said, well, the one that knocked him out was that the person said, now you can go home. And that was the end of the conversation, the end of the communication. For six months, nobody spoke to him. In fact, the person never spoke to him again. Until one day, he went to a particular church. Maybe they invited him for a program. And as the person preached, he knew he had heard that voice before. He knew that spirit had been in my room. This is the Jesus. This is the God that came to my room and knocked out all the other gods. Finally, he discovered the name is Jesus Christ. Oh, this is the one my family has been worshipping for a long time. I thought it was just one of the other gods. He is not like other gods. No, he's not. He's not like other gods. And we cannot worship him the way other gods are worshipped. There's just one sacrifice he accepts. And you know what that sacrifice is? Our whole life. You lay down your life as a living sacrifice before him. That is what it means when we say we are Christians. Now, having met that Jesus, he has people who testified of him ahead of time. So he will tell you that, that um, who was it that Abraham rejoiced to see my day? So you see the testimony of Abraham. And if you read your Bible where Genesis was written to get to Abraham, the narrative was to get to Abraham. After Abraham, the narrative went as far as David. That's it. And the next point is Christ Jesus. And that's why we're looking at David again. I hope you're getting my point. What are we seeing? Look, I was talking about this Christ Jesus. If you read the scriptures, all we see in his life, there are so many prophecies about him beforehand. So many. Many of the Psalms are what we call Messianic Psalms. They talked about him. You see, references to him are all over the scriptures. All over the prophets. From Genesis all the way to Malachi. And then one day he was born. And then we hear the story surrounding his birth. How an angel went, visited a man called Zachariah, and his wife, um, Elizabeth, became pregnant in her old age. And then she gave birth to a son called John, who began to announce that repent, the kingdom of God is at hand. A few months, six months after he was born, an angel had visited his mother's cousin, Mary, and she was going to conceive of the Holy Spirit. And another little boy was born six months after um, John. And that one was growing quietly. John was there causing a lot of trouble in the society. <laughs> insulting religious elders, in quote, insulting, in quote. Calling everybody to order because he was filled with the spirit from his mother's womb. John w- walked like that until one day, at the age of 30, Jesus Christ showed up before him. And he said to his disciples, behold the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the whole world. And he came for him for baptism. Do you know, before that point, after his birth, when he had to run away to Egypt, arise, take this child and his mother, flee to Egypt, the angel said to Joseph, the only time anything was said about him was at the age of 12, when he went to the temple. The the Gospels were absolutely silent concerning his life. Absolutely. They didn't tell us anything. Until we we heard, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. Everything was silent. 
until we heard, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well placed. So we say, okay, what happened between the age of 1 and 12? What happened between the age of 12 and 30? How come nothing was said about it? Then one day I was meditating and I realized that God was saying, if I had to write everything about his life, the volume would be big. And actually, I've written those things ahead of time. If you want to know what happened in his life, check the life of Moses. Read the life of Joseph. Check the life of David. All the successes of faith you find in their lives were demonstrated in the life of Jesus before that age of 30. Did you hear what I said? So Jesus Christ is a summary of everything that Moses did that was right. His life is a summary of everything that David did that was right. His life is a summary of everything that, you know, even Samuel, all the people they call the heroes of faith there, even the women, everything they did that was right. Abraham, you find him in the life of Jesus Christ. He lived the perfection of faith. That's why the Bible says, looking unto Jesus, after giving you the list of all the people of the the hall of fame of faith, he now said, looking unto Jesus, who is the author and finisher of faith, literally. There's no our faith there. It's the author and finisher of faith. He walked the faith walk into, that is, with perfection, with precision, made no mistake anywhere along the line. So that's why we are studying Moses. We're not studying Moses, actually. We are studying the life of Jesus. We are studying why God said to Jesus, this is my beloved son, in whom I'm well pleased. When we are studying David, and we are beginning that now, we are studying the life of Jesus. Not David himself, but actually Jesus is the one we are studying. In fact, you, you see that as we go on, anytime you, see, you hear things like the sure mercies of David, he was talking about Jesus. When he said, my, David, my servant, will rule over them. The prophets were prophesying. And he was talking about Jesus. That was one name that Jesus liked. So you look into the life of David, you see something about the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's why we do those studies once in a while. Alright? I think I've spent so much time trying to explain why we are going to study David again. But in the process, of course, I believe that you are learning something. Yeah, that's what Christianity is about. It's Christianity, we have the knowledge of God. We have the knowledge of God. The Lord is good. I said the Lord is good. Alright, let me just read a few more scriptures and then I will bring today to a close and we'll continue studying the life of David from next time. Now, the person of David, of course, you know about him. Here we see him described as what? If I like this, you know, now these are the last words of David. And the next three, four lines there was qualifying who David was. David, the son of Jesse, the man who was raised on high, the anointed of the God of Jacob, and the sweet psalmist of Israel. Wow, that's a very nice way to describe somebody. If you read New Living Translations, in translation, it puts it like that. Said David, the son of Jesse, speaks. David, the man who was raised up so high. David, the man anointed by the God of Jacob. David, the sweet psalmist of Israel. That's how the man was described. And we are going to look at all these parts about his life. Of course, he was a prophet. You must bear that in mind. David's his psalming was prophecy. Did you hear what I said? Yeah. When he's writing songs, the man was prophesying. Please, just by the way, if you are into the musical thing, you understand? You're a songwriter. Please, write songs that make sense. <laughs> We're driving the car yesterday. My wife said, how do you know this song? 
I was here, I was here, oh, no, fele, fele. I said, <laughs> so I said, I heard this before. I said, oh, the branch. <laughs> he said, what does it mean? I said, it doesn't mean anything. Job means that the Amala is hot. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's all, that's all. There was one guy, I know him, one of these, he's a very good producer in Nigeria, but he does a few, he's done a few albums himself. I won't mention the name now. Because I know him personally, I want to release his first album. I got the album. I used to play it once in a while. I'm supposed to be a Christian, of course, in the good church, but. <laughs> then, you know, just be singing songs, you be laughing to yourself. He said, um, say something like, moi, moi, and potato, you know. <laughs> Just be talking things that have no sense. I said, I said how can I even sing along with you? <laughs> I mean, if you want to sing bad songs, sing bad songs so that I will leave you alone. This one, you sing a song, we don't even know what you are saying. Moy, moy, and potato. What is moy, moy, and potato? <laughs> the Lord is good. That's just by the way. So David, he was a prophetic psalmist. Anytime he would write songs and play, let me just say to you, your songs will have a message. You know, when I was in Joss, Pastor Chintok said something. It was very interesting. I never saw it like that before. I never even looked in that direction. But of course, he's into music, so he understands that. And he said, Bob Marley was a prophet of a movement. I said, wow, I never saw that like that. So all the songs Bob Marley wrote was prophetic concerning the movement he was involved in. When he described that in Kai, I was really impressed. In fact, they said Bob Marley, he said that many of us don't realize that Bob Marley was not, the, that he was a very horrible womanizer. And his wife had to stomach all of that. And when they asked her why, she said that because his message was more important than him. So she stomached all of it because of the message he was preaching. You know, this, um, all this rise against apartheid, black liberation, that the man was a prophet of a movement. Well, I was impressed to hear that. I never, of course, I'm not a Bob Marley person. I don't know much about him. But when I heard that side of it, of course, I knew our Abba Meda was, <laughs> is the only one laughing. You know Abba Meda now. Abba, these are the only two people that know Abba Meda here. Why are all of you pretending now? The rest of you are pretending. <laughs> it was a prophet of some sort, but again of his shrine. I'm just letting people know if you are, if you are, if you are into songwriting, you're actually supposed to work in a form of prophetic office. Everything you write, God will hold you account, will hold, will hold you to account one day. I hope you get my point. Any song you write as a Christian songwriter, one day Jesus will have you sit down. Let's go through your song. First line. As they wind your waist, Jesus said, What does that mean? Jesus said, What does that mean? What does that mean? Is that the loss of the flesh or the loss of the eyes or which one? He said, Lord, uh, actually, they said they won't sign the musical deal if I, didn't, if I don't put that one inside there. So he said, Angel, give me 15 strokes. And you have two on your back. <laughs> you look at the next line. He said, what, next song, you look at it. Um, Today, oh, I will lift up my voice in praise. So that's good. You will, no, you'll give you a thumbs up. Well done, good and faithful servant. Let's go to the next line. Nigeria, don't jaga jaga. I said, lie down there. <laughs> lie down there. <laughs> Listen. Line by line, the Lord Jesus is going to scrutinize all your songs. 
I know it's easy for you to sit down there and be thinking it's only those of us preachers. That was scrutinized. Leave it. We are going together. Uh, me and you. We are going to be on the same queue. They will carry all the kingdom world messages. <laughs> and you are still there feeling sorry for me, Pastor Do. I said, which one? Don't cry for me. Cry for yourself. <laughs> because you too. Because like I wrote in that book, I was quoting, I let, well, there's a very well-known saying in the, I think in sociology. He said, let me write the songs of a nation. I don't care who makes his laws. Have you that before? Yeah. He said, let me write the songs of a nation. I don't care who makes the laws. That is, the songs have greater effect on the people than the legislation of the country. And one man asked, when, he said, when, they, when they, they were quoting somebody, I've forgotten who exactly. And when the person said he was not just talking about lyrics or songs, he was talking about entertainment generally. That is, apart from writing songs, let me write the plays. Let me do the Big Brother. And if you're a Christian, you're watching Big Brother, God will punish you. Yeah, it's, it works of darkness. Yesterday I was driving. That was the same time I heard, don't go down, fella, fella. That is, and now I heard the night interview John Jazzy. So the, the presenter was, they, they call it throwback. I don't know, you know, it was one of the radio stations in Enugu. They, 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 it was tuning the radio. I think uh, it's who did that tune it to because now he carried moto. Repair, give back to me. So it was, not, it was on the radio station. So as I was driving up and down, I couldn't do my normal, because not the car I drive normally, so I didn't have uh, my connection. So the radio was always played. So they were now doing what they called through, but that's why I heard the Obuno Fele Fele thing. Then they now said, they were now said, Don Jazzy did this, Don Jazzy. They now played an interview by Don Jazzy. I shook my head. Don Jazzy said, ah, I respect those of you who can stay with one woman. No. Me, I will not lie to myself that I can. I cannot. I cannot tell you that I'm a, you are a woman, I'm in love with you, and I will not look at other women. If I see other fine women, I will follow them. So I told myself from today, Don Jazzy, me and you are not on the same frequency. One, I'm a man of one woman. Two, I intend to remain so. Don't donate for me the kind of spirit that will not help me. There was a time Don Jazzy sang Dorobuchi. They said, who is Doro? He never answered till today. They say this is a this is a goddess that he's worshiping, that's giving him money. When he was going to answer, he said, "Ha ha 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 ha! The Nigerians are very funny. This is how I know that uh, that uh, that uh, they are They are just talking nonsense." I said, "Bro, answer them now. Tell them who Doro is now." Because you sang the song up, and after that, the song sweet oh, for my ear. <laughs> I want to put them for my mouth again. Say, Doro, Doro. Mm, I know they talk again. Doro. Jesus, Jesus Christi, Jesus, Jesus Christi, oh, oh, I go, I go sing my Jesus Christi, I beg, leave me. Honestly, don't spoil me, I beg. Kola Iwosho said, whatever entertains you, enters you. Whatever entertains you, enters you. So sometimes, and I won't lie to you, some of those songs, they're sweet. They, 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 they sweet. Ah! You will know that Satan sat with them to write these songs. <laughs> you know, Satan can write songs. Ah! Satan will take the gift of God upon mankind. 
By the time you, ah, when, when they are jamming like this, you want to jam. But let me just tell you what one prophet said recently. He said, look, it's an old-time preacher. He said, no matter how good the, the rhythm, don't sing the songs, song unless the, the lyrics glorifies God, something like that. So if the lyrics don't glorify God, don't sing it. So if I listen to the lyrics, I don't like it, I leave it. The Lord is good. How do we get into that? Just talking about David. Let's just read this particular one and we end it there. Remember he said, David, the son of Jesse, the man who was raised up so high, David, the man anointed by the God of Jacob, David, the sweet psalmist of Israel. Is that David we want to look at? I just want to look at one particular point because the first thing he said here is that the man who was raised up so high. So where we are going to begin from is the fact that he was raised up so high. Let's re- just read this and then we'll, we'll end it there. From 1 Samuel, 1 Samuel chapter 16, I listened to David Paulson analyze the scripture. You should get a hold of that series. It's available on his website. You can download it, um, the David Paulson series on Unlocking the Bible. Yes, yeah, that's what I want to remember, Unlocking the Bible. The series Unlocking the Bible is available on davidpaulson.org. David Paulson passed on, I think, last year. All right. And uh, he taught, he was a Bible teacher. So he did a series in which he explained the Bible from Genesis all the way to Revelation. It's a good one to, to listen to. It will help you. It will help you. Um, it's good to understand the Bible. It's good to understand the Bible. It's good. It's good to know. You know, sometimes we are so caught with this reading, you know, like now. Today now I took you to Second Samuel chapter 23. We read a few verses. Now we are back to First Samuel chapter 16. We are going to read a few verses. So basically, I'm cutting and joining. I'm just cutting the scriptures, joining it, joining it like this, and saying what I want to say. Now, I'm not lying to you. I mean, <laughs> don't be afraid. I've read it, and I, God helping me, I've tried to get the whole context of the Bible, and I keep on reading to keep on improving my knowledge, and I doubt whether any week or month will pass, and I will not get new understanding of the way, of the structure of the scriptures. I keep learning, all right? I'm just recommending for you that... To read, to try and listen to the series, we help you put the whole Bible in perspective. All right, and so when he was talking about it, he explained that Samuel. Of course, you know Samuel wrote um, what books did he write again? First Samuel. No, he didn't write Kings. He didn't write Kings. He wrote um, Ruth. Uh, Ruth, which other one? Which one is before Samuel now? Did he write Judges? Okay, I think he wrote Judges. Yes, he wrote Judges and Ruth. And then now wrote 1 Samuel and 2 Samuel. Now, um, the reason why he wrote um, Judges, Ruth, that they think, uh, theologians think that he was trying to get Israel ready for David as a king. He was trying to get them ready to accept the, the dynasty of David, the kingship of David. So he was showing them how God prepared the family of David. Because you see, the story of Ruth, go and see, the story of Ruth ended in describing who the ancestors of David were. That's it. I'll tell you, Boaz, um, um, Obed, Salmon, Jesse, and then David. All right, so please try and read it. Now, so let's read this, where God sent Samuel to go and um, anoint David. We're just going to read that and then we'll close. 
All right, in fact, you will see, this is actually where the story of the life of David really began. The only time David was mentioned before that in the Bible was just in the book of Ruth, and that's the one we just referred to earlier, in which his lineage was described. Now, that's verse, uh, verse 1. That's First Samuel 16. Now the Lord said to Samuel, How long will you grieve over Saul, since I have rejected him from being king over Israel? Fill your horn with oil and go. I will send you to Jesse the Bethlehemite, for I have selected a king for myself among his sons. And then Samuel said this and that, but please just go on down to verse um, 4. So Samuel did what the Lord said and came to Bethlehem, and the elders of the city came trembling to meet him and said, Do you come in peace? And he said, In peace I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. Consecrate yourselves and come with me to the sacrifice. So I believe that the elders of Israel were there. He also consecrated Jesse and his sons and invited them to the sacrifice. And when they entered, they looked at Eliab and thought, Surely the Lord's anointed is before him. But the Lord said to Samuel, Do not look at his appearance or at the height of his stature, because I have rejected him. For God sees not as man sees. For man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Then Jesse called Abinadab and made him pass before Samuel. And he said, the Lord has not chosen this one either. And then it was Shammah's turn to pass by, and the Lord has not chosen this one either. Thus Jesse made, that's verse 10 now, thus Jesse made seven of his sons pass before Samuel. But Samuel said to Jesse, the Lord has not chosen these. And Samuel said to Jesse, are these all the children? And he said, there remains yet the youngest. And behold, he is tending the sheep. Then Samuel said to Jesse, send and bring him, for we will not sit down until he comes here. So he sent and brought him in. Now he was ruddy, with beautiful eyes and a handsome appearance. And the Lord said, arise, anoint him, for this is he. Then Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the midst of his brothers. And the Spirit of the Lord came mightily upon David. From that day forward. And Samuel arose and went to Ramah. Alright. The Lord is good. Like I said, we are going to stop it here. We are just seeing how David was introduced in the scriptures. Before then, what we know is just the description in the book of Ruth concerning his genealogy. Now this is how God brought David in. Remember, the number of things we learned about David, a man lifted so high by God. This was where God first showed to people that he was going to lift this man up. And when we come next time, God allowing it, I'm going to look at why these people had to pass before Jesse one by one and what God saw in the heart of David when he anointed him. He said, I have found a man after my heart who will do all my desire. Stephen explained that one to us in the book of Acts. And that's what David is. And why why are we reading this? Because remember, the Lord looked at the time at the Lord Jesus Christ and said, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. And we said, when he said that, he wasn't saying, this is a son who I love for no reason. It is a son who I have trained and who I have tested and I'm well pleased means that his result sheet is impressive to me. So we are looking at those things that made Jesus 
to please God the Father so much that he uttered that statement concerning his life. And we're going to look at some of those things in the life of the person David. And we trust that God will give us understanding. All right, if you're blessed, you give me an amen. amen. Let's bow down our heads and give the Lord thanks for the word that we have heard today. Let's thank him because he's good. And he's showing us his love and his mercy in the instructions that he's given to us.